Welcome to Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series in the hospitality tabletop industry. Hosted by Dave Turner, Seat Yourself is 20 to 30 minutes of what's happening in the world of hospitality tabletop. Dave is the globally known chief evangelist and editor for tabletopjournal.com. A non-traditional journalist, Dave has spent nearly 30 years as a sales and marketing executive in the world of hospitality. This podcast was originally published on the week of March 9th, 2020 and runs for approximately 30 minutes. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Seat Yourself. I'm Dave Turner, and I'm your host here at Seat Yourself, and I want to welcome you back to another episode of our weekly podcast. No worries, we're absolutely virus-free, and we're devoted to the world of hospitality tabletop. Thanks for joining us again this week. We're back in Studio B here in beautiful downtown Baltimore. This week in industry news, we've got a leading consulting firm telling us what they believe the near-term prognosis is for Amazon within the food service space. And we've got news on America's job front as well, and it's all good, at least for the moment. And it's nice to have some good news these days. And to go along with that good news, we've got a clip on a great new Beyond the Table interview we did recently. Of course, Beyond the Table is our seldom-used podcast forum where we celebrate the heroes of our industry. And you may recall that we did a great Beyond the Table interview a while back with a legendary British design team of Queensbury and Hunt. It was an amazing interview. Well, this past weekend, we published another, this time profiling a European hospitality tabletop leader, and we've got a clip for you right here on Seat Yourself. And then in product and company news this week, we've got a story in a company that we've not talked about here before, and it's a company that's been making great tabletop products for the past several decades, and only recently has decided to venture out with its own brand and some new designs. We've also got another great 60 Seconds with Shannon segment. It's another timely conversation as Shannon and I discuss the merging and aligning of complementary suppliers in our industry. And Shannon offers some very cautionary words of advice that you might want to heed if your supplier is thinking about merging or aligning today. Shannon, of course, is the well-known category manager for tabletop and buffetware at Chicago's Edward Don and Company. And then, to finish it all off this week, our commentary segment once again circles back around to the issue of trust. Only this week, we'll talk about how to rebuild it once it's been lost. That can be a very tricky thing indeed. So thanks for joining us. You can relax. You won't have to worry about getting any viruses from listening to us. All you have to do is sit there and listen. And as we always do here at Seat Yourself, we start each episode off with our stat of the week. And with all the difficult news we've been hearing lately, I thought we could all use some positive health-related news. So, this week's stat is plus 9.6%. That's the growth in America last year for single malt scotch. 9.6% growth. Okay, you may be saying, Dave, with all the tough news that's on TV and online and everywhere else we look these days, what does sales growth in single malt scotches, although it's great, what does that have to do with health-related news? Well, did you know that when you contribute to the growth in single malt scotches, you could actually be improving your health as well? According to a website called The List, it hardly gets much healthier than scotch whiskey. According to a recent article they published, drinking single malt scotch whiskeys every day can help you reduce heart attack and stroke risk. It can even ward off cancer or even prevent, pre- help prevent dementia and Alzheimer's. Now see, I knew there were other reasons that you filled up that Glencairn glass and enjoyed a dram with friends on a regular basis. 
Of course, it could be that you just like the taste of Scotch whiskeys. I got that too. So now I want you to make sure you alert all your friends to all the medicinal qualities of your favorite single malt whiskeys. Let's see if we can improve America's health again this year. And that's our stat of the week this week, 9.6% growth. That's the percentage of growth single malt scotch whiskeys showed in America in 2019. And in news this week, as regular listeners of Seat Yourself know, we've decided to minimize our attention to stories associated with the coronavirus. In fact, we're pretty sure you're getting all of that you need to know from literally every other news source you can imagine or that you may listen to or read. So we're going to pay attention to some of the other stories that are affecting our industry, and we'll come back to coronavirus stories as needed. And so in other industry news this week, Pentalic, the Chicago-based consulting company, if you're not familiar with them, you should be, they recently issued a new report on the impact of Amazon as a food service supplier. The report was done by Pentalic partners Bob Golden and Barry Friends. These are names that some of you are no doubt familiar with. And in their report, Golden and Friends give Amazon plenty of respect as for both their ability to become a strong distribution model and a category disruptor. And the Pentalic report estimates that Amazon currently does between $1.5 and $2.5 billion in food service sales. But the Pentalic report also gives established food, food service distributors in, like Cisco, U.S. Foods, and others, they give them some strong love by stating openly that they're really well-financed and well-prepared to fight any market share battles that might come their way. And add to that, the already establishing Amazon direct competitors like Webstaron, Costco, even Walmart's jet division, and the general opinion of Pentalic's report is that things may not be so easy for Amazon coming into food service. They remind us that this is a, especially a category where the majority of operating purchases are perishables and where the top 100 chains control 30% of the food service in industry volume. And these chains all have unique and varied service and inventory requirements. So it's not likely that Amazon would be able to easily penetrate that segment, all in Pentalic's opinion. So even in these fast-changing times, you never say never, but Amazon, they'll still enjoy their share of business and food service, no doubt. But the established channels and established suppliers are not likely to fade away fast, at least according to the experienced voices over at Chicago's Pentalic. You can read more about their report on Amazon by going over to their website. That's pentalic.com. In another news this past week, in a seemingly never-ending cycle of virus-filled news stories, it was great hearing on Friday some good news about the U.S. job situation. The U.S. Government Labor Department reported this past Friday that the U.S. economy had added 273,000 new jobs during the month of February. And that takes the unemployment rate down to an incredibly low level of 3.5%, matching its lowest level in more than 50 years. And in addition to that good news, there was even more. The previous two months' estimates, that would be for December and for the month of January, they were revised higher by a total of 85,000 new jobs. December moved up from 147 to 184,000, and January went from 225 to 273,000 new jobs. So, at least for now, the most recent news on the jobs front in the United States is still very, very positive. And one final note on this news, the food services and drinking place sectors both added 53,000 new jobs in the month of February. 
Now, we'll have to wait and see what the future employment reports bring. But certainly, while we're all expecting employment both here and around in the U.S. and around the globe to be impacted negatively by the virus concerns, but for now, we'll take all the economic positivity we can get. And finally, in other news this week, in our latest Beyond the Table interview conversation, I recently had the opportunity to sit with noted hospitality tabletop leader Claude Pfeiffer. We were together at the brand new European Distribution Center for Rack Porcelain. And of course, Claude is currently Rack Europe's Managing Director. And as you're probably aware, our Beyond the Table series is where we celebrate some of the heroes of the hospitality tabletop industry. People have had true impact and have changed our business for the future going forward. Certainly the name Claude Pfeiffer is well known around the globe throughout the hospitality tabletop industry. For more than 35 years, his name has been synonymous with hospitality tabletop and success. But in this conversation, like the other Beyond the Table conversations we've had, I really wanted to try to dig more into the background of who Claude Pfeiffer the person is and how he became one of the legendary brand developers and managers of our time within the hospitality tabletop sector. Full disclosure, I've known Claude Pfeiffer for more than 30 years, and I'm lucky enough to call him my friend. So here's a clip from that conversation to give you an idea of just how it went. You were with V&B for quite a while. Were there any particular people that were big influences, had a big influence on you? Whether, I mean, sometimes it's a mm-hmm. boss, sometimes it's a coworker, mm-hmm. sometimes it's even a customer. Yeah. Were there mm-hmm. people that influenced you uh, in the 20 plus mm-hmm. years you were at V&B mm-hmm. in a big mm-hmm. way that sort of changed, yeah. added to you? Yeah, there were, there were actually two people. I was very lucky, though. The two of them were shareholders and also managers in, in two factories. One was Van Lind van Boch, and the other one was uh, Baron de Charlemagne. And both of them had a lot of trust in me since the beginning. I must admit today, I did not always realize myself why, but they, they did. Mm-hmm. That was the most important, important. So they gave me the res- responsibility to set up the business as I thought it should be, it should be done. It was right to be done. They listened a lot and they allowed me to do what, what had to be done. You can listen to the entire conversation with Claude Pfeiffer by going to the People page on Tabletop Journal, or you can go to all the usual platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Sketcher, Google Music, and look for our Beyond the Table podcast. And while you're there, you might also want to check out the other podcast interviews we've done, including a really special conversation with British designers David Queensbury and Martin Hunt. And in company and product news this week, The name Mono has been an established OEM bone china and porcelain manufacturer and producing premium quality tableware in their Bangladesh factory for more than 35 years. And then last year, they established a London-based design office called Mono Design. And from their London office, the company hopes to develop both a more design-driven approach to their overall product development and an increased effort against the Horeca sector. The Mono Design Office in London features well-known British ceramics designer and maker, Billy Lloyd. Lloyd has been brought on as creative director and is leading the new focus on both design and Horeca. And at the recent Ambiente show, we caught up with Billy Lloyd, and here's what he told us about the new Mono Design and its focus going forward. Mono have been in business since 1984. We're based in 
Dhaka, but we also have a London design office. And we have relocated from Hall 6.2 to Hall 4.2 at Ambiente this year. And as such, we've rebranded the company to bring it more in line with a modern audience. And we've instilled a new design philosophy to the business uh, to celebrate and show off the fantastic collection of porcelain and bone china products that uh, we manufacture so well in our factories. Um, we're very excited to show this new look to our audience and um, it's attracting a lot of new custom uh, but also our existing customers um, such as uh, Creighton Barrel, Pottery Barn, Williams Sonoma, sort of fantastic iconic retailers. They're really excited to see what we're doing as well and our food service offering is, is, is really taking off. We've got um, a brilliant collection of products, extremely versatile and very well suited to the sort of rigorous demands of, of the food service industry. The clean lines and the high quality of the products we saw, including the overall finish of the, all the designs that were all in the mono design booth at Ambiente, they all were certainly very, very impressive. But it was their modulus series on display at Ambiente that was one of our favorites. With its perfect sizing and enormous flexibility, the modular pieces we saw will definitely draw lots of attention from creative Horeca operators. You can see the company's new modular series in our article on Tabletop Journal's journal page. Lots of potential from this longtime supplier who is now focusing more on design and the Horeca business. To learn more, go to their website, mono.com. Now, 60 Seconds with Shannon, where Dave sits down with Shannon Talon of Edward Donovan Company and asks the question of the week. This week, Shannon discusses the merging and aligning of complementary supplier companies. Okay, everybody, we're back again this week with Shannon Talon. Shannon is the category buyer for tabletop and buffetware at Edward Donovan Company in Chicago. And Shannon, the question I have for you is a little bit of a macro question this week, and that is that... We're seeing, we're continuing to see vendor companies, whether it be tabletop companies or buffetware companies, companies of all types in food service are either merging or aligning with other companies that have similar or adjoining interests, let's say. Mm -hmm. This seems to be a trend that where companies are trying to be seemingly all things to all people. Two questions. First of all, do you think that trend's going to continue? And secondly, when it does continue or it does happen, is that a good thing for those categories? Wow. I love this question because you're right. This is such a relevant thing happening in our industry and it's happening with such a rapid pace. So no, we're not going to see this stop anytime soon. This is going to continue. And I think that it's been born out of bringing bundled solutions to customers. Historically, you, you had companies that they were the traditional bundle of dinnerware, glassware, flatware. Not every company. Some vendors and manufacturers have been very strong in, in one particular category, and they've doubled down on their core competency. And that's great to see because they've been able to build very strong brands in those categories. And then we've had the companies that have always had the traditional bundle, or for you know as long as any of us can remember, they've had it. And the proliferation of that has led to companies either acquiring or aligning themselves with other companies that have complementary products. So we've seen that with in a big way in buffet. So as you and I have talked more about buffetware over the weeks, 
you know, the tabletop companies feel that their business overlaps with a lot of the buffet products. So they've wanted to have buffet solutions. Melamine in terms of a material, an alternative material is another one. You've seen traditional tabletop companies who are, have always operated in the traditional materials wanting to align themselves with a melamine brand that they can bring to market. So it's just been, I think, you know, from my perspective, the evolution of the bundle. I think ultimately it's positive for our industry. It makes things easier for customers because they can identify a company they're comfortable working with and they can have a one-stop shop. So that's what it's about. It's about taking care of our customers, bringing them, making things easier for them, making things more efficient for them, taking up less of their time when they're trying to make the decisions of the ENS that they're going to buy. And in this case, you know, tabletop or buffet. And so I think that anything that makes things easier for our customers is a good thing for the entire industry. So we're not going to see that cease, I think, anytime soon. And if anything, we're just going to see it change over time. You know, there have been brands that have been aligned and had distribution agreements with various companies in the U.S. throughout the years. And, you know, it's our job as distributors to make sure that the market is informed and that we help them make heads or tails of all the change and help them keep it straight. So it's going to continue for a long time, I think. Yeah, I would agree. I think from our perspective, it comes down to the whole issue of trust. Mm. If I trust you, uh, it wasn't long ago, if I trusted you to supply me with my dinnerware, then I'm probably going to trust you to supply me with my flatware and classware too. And now you see that branching out just to other adjoining categories like buffetware and all that. So I think people, um, they don't want to have a zillion vendors to deal with. Um, When I say that, I'm talking about operators. And they want to work through trusted sources sources of supply. And that only makes sense. So yeah, you may shop products, but more and more, I want to buy from trusted resources. The relationship. Yeah. And I would, the last thing I would add is that, you know, for those organizations that haven't gone this direction yet, I would caution them to not get left behind because the bundle and, you know, being able to have a multi-pronged solution for a customer across categories is becoming even more critically important in the ever-changing landscape of our business. So that's just a little bit of advice I would throw out. Great bit of advice. Now, here's Dave with this week's commentary. This week, Dave explains how trust is built in the smallest of moments. Hi, everybody, and thanks for joining me on this week's commentary. In prior commentaries, we've covered the fact that trust is a critical component to achieving both individual and organizational success. And certainly, trust is also critical in successful personal relationships as well. And trust, both in our professional and in our personal lives, is often built in the smallest of moments, in the smallest of actions. Trust between ourselves and our team members, even the trust between ourselves and our clients, is built over time and is very often built with small steps and small actions, with each step strengthening the relationship. So it goes without saying that trust in organizations is not only important, but it's critical. In fact, noted business author Tom Peters, known for his legendary business best-selling book, In Search of Excellence, he said it best. Peters says, technology and technique are important, but adding trust is the issue of the decade. And so when we think of trust in the professional sense, the most common opposite of trust is suspicion, more often than outright betrayal in the professional world, although that can happen as well. But what happens when we lose trust with a team member? Can that trust be rebuilt? And if so, 
How do you do it? And that's what I want to focus on in this week's commentary. How do you rebuild trust once it's been lost? Well, I believe that the foundation of the answer to that question lies in both sides having the desire and the courage to want to go forward and repair the trust and to reconnect. Author Hannah Inman, not long ago, wrote for Forbes magazine, three basic and specific steps to rebuilding trust. Step number one was to take personal responsibility for restoring trust versus waiting for the other person to miraculously come to their senses and change their behavior. Step number two, see the other person in a new light. Understand that they're trying to do their best as well. And number three, accept the fact that their view of the situation can also be the truth, even if it conflicts with your view. We'll come back to those three steps in a minute, but rebuilding trust is not easy in any relationship, and certainly not in a professional relationship where you have to work closely with another team member or team members who you might be suspicious of. But if we are to restore trust, it must also begin with us trusting others. And in taking Inman's first step of taking personal accountability, it means we must be willing to engage in what is likely to be a difficult conversation. After all, Communication is one of the first things that disappears when trust is lost. And as a leader who's taken accountability to restore trust, we also need to have the courage to have those uncomfortable conversations. And while the initial conversation may be difficult, Inman offers a few fundamentals that can help keep the conversation on track when we're trying to resolve the issue of trust that's been lost. The first fundamental is start by stating the obvious, that there really is a lack of trust And acknowledging the reality that no one talks about it is an enormous relief and sets the tone for transparency. Second fundamental would be state your intention to reestablish a trust and ask for their help in doing so. The difficult part may come in the next fundamental, which is to take accountability for your part in the broken trust. And yes, that's a tough part of the conversation. It's right there. The next fundamental is to listen. Listen with empathy Acknowledge the disappointment and anger and maybe even hurt feelings on both sides that are associated with a trust that's been broken. And at this point, resist the urge to defend your particular actions in this broken trust. The next fundamental is to try and find common goals. Usually that's best done by asking questions, such as things like, how can we support each other in our attempt to achieve our goals? Often by asking questions, it helps to get commitments to new sets of behaviors and actions that will reinforce trusting once more. And as you get commitments, it sometimes can be helpful to create a list for both sides, for actions and behaviors that you're going to do going forward. Another important fundamental is agreeing on how you'll give each other feedback when you go forward on the actions and behavioral changes that you do. Here's a good chance to catch others, the, the other partner that you're trying to build trust with. Here's, another, here's a great chance to catch them doing something right as well. And then it's as important to remember that as you're demonstrating your trust through your actions, you have to remember that when trust is lost, it can take time to reestablish it. So patience is going to matter here. And for those trying to reestablish trust, understand that that can be tough. It's a tough process, especially if you have one side that feels like the other side is not reciprocating in those efforts. And it's also true that rebuilding of trust is not likely to be a linear process, meaning it doesn't always go in a straight line. And it's likely to be more of a process that is especially fragile in the very beginnings. 
And since things aren't going to be linear and straightforward all the time, you can occasionally expect to take steps backwards as those involved in, uh, are trying to adjust to new ways of thinking and to new behaviors. So the answer to the question, can lost trust be rebuilt? The answer is yes, but it requires commitment and it requires perseverance. And again, author Inman's three specific and basic steps of rebuilding trust are take responsibility, personal responsibility for restoring that trust versus waiting for the other person. Number two, see the other person in the new light and understand that they're trying to do their best. And number three, accept the view that their view of the situation can also be the truth, even if it's not your view of the situation. And finally, I'll leave you with this to consider as you start down the journey of rebuilding trust. According to psychologist John Gottman, trust is built in the smallest of moments. So it's important to remember that while you may be taking many small steps along the journey to rebuild trust that's been lost, each of those small steps allows you for a course correction to get back on track. So you'll need patience and you'll need commitment to the rebuilding process. And those small steps that you choose to take, they'll often be much better than trying to get there with one or two giant leaps of faith. Trust, it's built in the smallest of moments. I'm Dave Turner, and thanks for joining me. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Seat Yourself. And as always, I want to thank the Rockstar Category Manager, Shannon Talent, for joining us today. And of course, I want to thank you, our listeners, for joining in as well. And finally, I want to make a special thanks to the Edward Don and Company for sponsoring, in part, this episode of Seat Yourself. Edward Don and Company, everything but the food for nearly 100 years. And remember to be sure to check out their most recent Tabletop Advisor. You can download it from their website, www. Dot don dot com. Just go to the homepage and scroll down to the publications section. We'll see you next time, but always remember, Tabletop Matters. That concludes this week's episode of Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series. For more news, information, and insights on the hospitality tabletop industry, be sure to check out tabletopjournal.com.